0: Section fifteen of the Children of Odin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Elizabeth Clett. The Children of Odin, the Book of Northern Myths by Parik Colum. Part three. The Witch's Heart. Chapter one. Foreboding in Asgard. What happened afterwards is a shame to the gods, and mortals may hardly speak of it. Gulveg the witch came into Asgard, for Heimdall might not forbid her entrance. She came within, and she had her seat amongst the Æsir and the Vanir. She walked through Asgard with a smile upon her face, and where she walked and where she smiled, care and dire foreboding came. Those who felt the care and the foreboding most deeply were Bragi the poet and his wife, the fair and simple Iduna, who gathered the apples that kept age from the dwellers in Asgard. Bragi ceased to tell his never-ending tale. Then one day, overcome by the fear and the foreboding that was creeping through Asgard, Iduna slipped down Yggdrasil, the world-tree, and no one was left to pluck the apples with which the Esir and the Vanir stayed their youth. Then were all the dwellers in Asgard in sore dismay— Strength and beauty began to fade from all. Thor found it hard to lift Mjolnir, his great hammer, and the flesh under Freya's necklace lost its white radiance. And still Gulveig the witch walked smiling through Asgard, although now she was hated by all. It was Odin and Frey who went in search of Iduna. She would have been found and brought back without delay if Frey had had with him the magic sword that he bartered for Gerda. In his search he had to strive with one who guarded the lake wherein Iduna had hidden herself. Belly was the one he strove against. He overcame him in the end with a weapon made of stag's antlers. Ah! it was not then but later that Frey lamented the loss of his sword. It was when the riders of Muspel came against Asgard, and the Vanir, who might have prevailed, prevailed not because of the loss of Frey's sword. They found Iduna and they brought her back but still care and foreboding crept through asgard and it was known too that the witch gulveig was changing the thoughts of the gods at last odin had to judge gulveig he judged her and decreed her death and only gunnir the spear of odin might slay gulveig who was not of mortal race odin hurled gunnir the spear went through gulveig but still she stood smiling at the gods a second time Odin hurled his spear, a second time Gunnir pierced the witch, she stood livid as one dead, but fell not down. A third time Odin hurled his spear, and now pierced for the third time, the witch gave a scream that made all Asgard shudder, and she fell in death on the ground. "'I have slain in these halls where slaying is forbidden,' Odin said." Take now the corpse of Golveig and burn it on the ramparts, so that no trace of the witch who has troubled us will remain in Asgard. They brought the corpse of Golveig the witch out on the ramparts, and they lighted fires under the pile on which they laid her, and they called upon Hresfulger to fan up the flame. Hresfulger is the giant who on heaven's edge sits in the guise of an eagle, and the winds, it is said, rush down on the earth from his outspreading pinions. Far away was Loki when all this was being done. Often now he went from Asgard, and his journeys were to look upon that wondrous treasure that had passed from the keeping of the dwarf Andvari. It was Golveg who had kept the imagination of that treasure within his mind. Now when he came back and heard the whispers of what had been done, a rage flamed up within him for Loki was one of those whose minds were being changed by the presence and the whispers of the witch Gulveig. His mind was being changed to hatred of the gods. Now he went to the place of Gulveig's burning. All her body was in ashes, but her heart had not been devoured by the flames. And Loki in his rage took the heart of the witch and ate it. Oh, black and direful was it in Asgard, the day that Loki ate the heart that the flames would not devour. CHAPTER Two, Loki the Betrayer He stole Frigga's dress of falcon-feathers. Then, as a falcon, he flew out of Asgard. Jotunheim was the place that he flew toward. The anger and the fierceness of the hawk was within Loki as he flew through the giant's realm. The heights and the chasms of that dread land made his spirits mount up like fire. He saw the whirlpools and the smoking mountains, and had joy of these sights. Higher and higher he soared, until, looking toward the south, he saw the flaming land of Muspelheim. Higher and higher still he soared. With his falcon's eyes he saw the gleam of Surtur's flaming sword all the fire of Muspelheim and all the gloom of Jotunheim would one day be brought against Asgard and against Midgard. But Loki was no longer dismayed to think of the ruin of Asgard's beauty and the ruin of Midgard's promise. He hovered around one of the dwellings in Jotunheim. Why had he come to it? Because he had seen two of the women of that dwelling, and the rage against the Asunir and the Vanir was such that the ugliness and the evil of these women was pleasing to him. He hovered before the open door of the giant's house, and he looked upon those who were within. Geriot, the most savage of all the giants, was there, and beside him, squatting on the ground, were his two evil and ugly daughters, Gyalp and Gripe. They were big and bulky, black and rugged, with horse's teeth and hair that was like horse's manes. Gialp was the uglier of the two, if one could be said to be uglier than the other, for her nose was a yard long, and her eyes were crooked. What were they talking about as they sat there, one scratching the other? Of Asgard and the dwellers in Asgard whom they hated? Thor was the one whom they hated most of all, and they were speaking of all they would like to do to him. "'I would keep Thor bound in chains,' said Geriot, the giant, "'and I would beat him to death with my iron club.' "'I would grind his bones to powder,' said Gripe. "'I would tear the flesh off his bones,' said Gialp. "'Father, can you not catch this Thor and bring him to us alive?' "'Not so long as he has his hammer, Mjolnir, and the gloves with which he grasps his hammer, and the belt that doubles his strength.' "'Oh, if we could catch him without his hammer and his belt and his gloves!' cried Gialp and Gripe together. At that moment they saw the falcon hovering before the door. They were eager now for something to hold and torment, and so the hearts of the three became set upon catching the falcon. They did not stir from the place where they were sitting, but they called the child Glap, who was swinging from the roof-tree, and they bade him go out and try to catch the falcon. All concealed by the great leaves the child Glap climbed up the ivy that was around the door. The falcon came hovering near. Then Glap caught it by the wings and fell down through the ivy screaming and struggling as he was being beaten and clawed and torn by the wings and the talons and the beak of the falcon. Geriot and Gripe and Gyalp rushed out and kept hold of the falcon. As the giant held him in his hands and looked him over, he knew that this was no bird creature. The eyes showed him to be of Alfheim or Asgard. The giant took him and shut him in a box till he would speak. Soon he tapped at the closed box, and when Geriot opened it, Loki spoke to him. So glad was the savage giant to have one of the dwellers in Asgard in his power that he and his daughters did nothing but laugh and chuckle to each other for days. And all this time they left Loki in the closed box to waste with hunger. When they opened the box again Loki spoke to them. He told them he would do any injury to the dwellers in Asgard that would please them if they would let him go. "'Will you bring Thor to us?' said Gripe. Will you bring Thor to us without his hammer, and without the gloves with which he grasps his hammer, and without his belt?' said Gialp. "'I will bring him to you if you will let me go,' Loki said. "'Thor is easily deceived, and I can bring him to you without his hammer and his belt and his gloves.' "'We will let you go, Loki,' said the giant, "'if you will swear by the gloom of Jotunheim that you will bring Thor to us as you say.' Loki swore that he would do so by the gloom of Jotunheim." yea, and by the fires of Muspelheim," he added. The giant and his daughters let him go, and he flew back to Asgard. He restored to Frigga her falcon-dress. All blamed him for having stolen it, but when he told how he had been shut up without food in Geriot's dwelling, those who judged him thought he had been punished enough for the theft. He spoke as before to the dwellers in Asgard, and the rage and hatred he had against them since he had eaten Gulveig's heart he kept from bursting forth. He talked to Thor of the adventures they had together in Jotunheim. Thor would now roar with laughter when he talked of the time when he went as a bride to Thrym the giant. Loki was able to persuade him to make another journey to Jotunheim. And I want to speak to you of what I saw in Gediot's dwelling, he said. I saw there the hair of Sif, your wife. The hair of Sif, my wife? said Thor in surprise. Yes, the hair I once cut off from Sif's head, said Loki. "'Geriott was the one who found it when I cast it away. They light their hall with Sif's hair. Oh, yes, they don't need torches where Sif's hair is.' "'I should like to see it,' said Thor. "'Then pay Geriott a visit,' Loki replied. "'But if you go to his house you will have to go without your hammer Mjolnir, and without your gloves and your belt.' "'Where will I leave Mjolnir and my gloves and my belt?' Thor asked. "'Leave them in Valaskjalf, Odin's own dwelling.' said cunning Loki. Leave them there and come to Gedioth's dwelling. Surely you will be well treated there." "'Yes. I will leave them in Valaskjalf and go with you to Gedioth's dwelling,' Thor said. Thor left his hammer, his gloves and his belt in Valaskjalf. Then he and Loki went toward Jotunheim. When they were near the end of their journey they came to a wide river, and with a young giant whom they met on the bank they began to ford it. Suddenly the river began to rise. Loki and the young giant would have been swept away, only Thor gripped both of them. Higher and higher the river rose, and rougher and rougher it became. Thor had to plant his feet firmly on the bottom, or he and the two he held would have been swept down by the flood. He struggled across, holding Loki and the young giant. A mountain ash grew out of the bank, and while the two held to him, he grasped it with his hands. The river rose still higher but Thor was able to draw Loki and the young giant to the bank, and then he himself scrambled up on it. Now looking up the river he saw a sight that filled him with rage. A giantess was pouring a flood into it. This it was that was making the river rise and seethe. Thor pulled a rock out of the bank and hurled it at her. It struck her and flung her into the flood. Then she struggled out of the water and went yelping away. This giantess was Yelp. Geriad's ugly and evil daughter. Nothing would do the young giant whom Thor had helped to cross but that the pair would go and visit Grid, his mother, who lived in a cave in the hillside. Loki would not go and was angered to hear that Thor thought of going. But Thor, seeing the giant youth was friendly, was willing enough to go to Grid's dwelling. "'Go then, but get soon to Geriad's dwelling yonder. I will wait for you there,' said Loki. He watched Thor go up the hillside to Grid's cave. He waited until he saw Thor come back down the hillside and go toward Gediod's dwelling. He watched Thor go into the house where, as he thought, death awaited him. Then in a madness for what he had done, Loki, with his head drawn down on his shoulders, started running like a bird along the ground. Grid, the old giantess, was seated on the floor of the cave-grinding corn between two stones. "'Who is it?' she said, as her son led Thor within. "'One of the Aesir. What giant do you go to injure now, Asa Thor?' "'I go to injure no giant, old Grid,' Thor replied. "'Look upon me. Cannot you see that I have not Mjolnir, my mighty hammer with me, nor my belt, nor my gloves of iron?' "'But where in Jotunheim do you go?' "'To the house of a friendly giant, old Grid. To the house of Geriard.' "'Geriard, a friendly giant!' You are out of your wits, Osathor. Is he not out of his wits, my son—this one who saved you from the flood, as you say?" "'Tell him of Geriot, old mother,' said the giant youth. "'Do not go to his house, Thor. do not go to his house.' My word has been given, and I should be a craven if I stayed away now, just because an old crone sitting at a quernstone tells me I am going into a trap. I will give you something that will help you, Asithor. "'Lucky for you I am mistress of magical things. Take this staff in your hands. It is a staff of power, and will stand you instead of Mjolnir. I will take it, since you offer it in kindness, old dame, this worm-eaten staff. And take these mittens, too. They will serve you for gauntlets of iron. I will take them, since you offer them in kindness, old dame, these worn old mittens.' and take this length of string. It will serve you for your belt of prowess." "'I will take it, since you offer it in kindness, old dame, this ragged length of string." "'Tis well indeed for you, Asa Thor, that I am mistress of magical things." Thor put the worn length of string around his waist, and as he did he knew that Grid, the old giantess, was indeed the mistress of magical things, for immediately he felt his strength augmented as when he put on his own belt of strength He then drew on the mittens and took the staff that she gave him in his hands. He left the cave of Grid, the old giantess, and went to Geriot's dwelling. Loki was not there. It was then that Thor began to think that perhaps old Grid was right and that a trap was being laid for him. No one was in the hall. He came out of the hall and into a great stone chamber, and he saw no one there either. But in the centre of the stone chamber there was a stone seat, and Thor went to it. And seated himself upon it. No sooner was he seated than the chair flew upwards. Thor would have been crushed against the stone roof only that he held his staff up. So great was the power in the staff, so great was the strength that the string around him gave, that the chair was thrust downward. The stone chair crashed down upon the stone floor. There were horrible screams from under it. Thor lifted up the seat and saw two ugly broken bodies there. The giant's daughters, yelp and gripe, had hidden themselves under the chair to watch his death. But the stone that was to have crushed him against the ceiling had crushed them against the floor. Thor strode out of that chamber with his teeth set hard. A great fire was blazing in the hall, and standing beside that fire he saw Geriot, the long-armed giant. He held a tongs into the fire. As Thor came toward him he lifted up the tongs and flung from it a blazing wedge of iron it whizzed straight toward Thor's forehead. Thor put up his hands and caught the blazing wedge of iron between the mittens that old Grid had given him. Quickly he hurled it back at Geriot. It struck the giant on the forehead and went blazing through him. Geriot crashed down into the fire, and the burning iron made a blaze all around him. And when Thor reached Grid's cave he went there to restore to the old giantess the string, the mittens, and the staff of power she had given him, he saw the giant's dwelling in such a blaze that one would think the fires of Muspelheim were all around it. End of section 15